What's up, my super awesome chaotic listeners? You're with your man, Chris O, the host of Chaos Movies, and I'm super excited to do this one. I've watched this several times, and I've got lots to talk about, so brace yourself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run this one over a little bit longer than I normally would, but uh, let's just put it out there. Title, movie, 2016, Hell or High Water. Okay. If you haven't seen it, you can either listen to what I'm going to say and then watch it because I don't mind knowing endings, starts, finishes, whatever before I watch a movie. It helps me with my processes. Uh, if you don't want to hear, then turn me off, but uh, jump on, follow my shit and um, watch out for every, anything else I'm going to put out there for you. But if, you wanted, if you're curious about a couple of little cool things that I've learned, then listen on. All right. Hell or High Water, directed by David McKenzie. Uh, director dude doesn't do much. He's from England, which is really strange. Um, he was born in England and he uh, directs a movie, which is basically in Texas. Uh, not sure how that works, but hey, I love it. This movie got so many nominations. It uh, sorry, it got it was up for so many awards in different um, award fields. It got Academy nominees four times, uh, including a director, uh, sorry, a writer that I'll bring up shortly. And this movie was dedicated to David McKenzie's parents. Weirdly enough, didn't do much research, but it finds out that um, they died. In a uh, let's just say a car accident, I'll have to fact check that they died during the filming of this movie. So he dedicated it to his parents. So I'm really not sure what happened there. But either way, if there was some sort of if this movie wasn't finished yet and he somehow put a bit of pain into it, then you can or some sort of struggle that he was dealing with as a director in life probably probably found its way into this into this film and. I will happily go through a few things that I've figured out. This was written by a guy called Taylor Sheridan. Taylor Sheridan, I mean, the name doesn't did not ring a bell for me at all, but when you looked at his face, I, I looked him up because I do that. I go director, writer, and composer because sometimes you find some interesting shit about these dudes or girls, whatever they are. This one is Taylor Sheridan. He is the writer of Hell or High Water, Wind River with Jeremy Rayner and um, one of the Olsen girls, Elizabeth Olsen. Sicario with Benicio Del Toro and Emily Blunt and Josh Brolin. Fucking insane movie. Not reviewing that because I was afraid I'd fuck it up. Yellowstone, <clears throat> 12 Strong with Chris Hemsworth. He's been in CSI. He was the deputy sheriff in uh, – uh, he was – Sheriff Hale in um, Sons of Anarchy. So that's where I know him from. He's been in Veronica Mars, CSI Crime, CSI Miami, NYPD Blue, Star Trek, an older version. He's been in heaps. So this dude, he also embeds himself as an actor in a few of the, a few of the films, including this one, Hell or High Water. He plays a cowboy. <clears throat> I'm not sure. I'd love to know why writers, directors – uh, music guys get a like a, a spot in the movie, like most not most famously, but for me, Fast and Furious, first one, Vin Diesel, 
Michelle Rodriguez, Paul Walker, Jordana Brewster. Um, if you remember that movie, while they're doing the famous drag racing scene down the main strip, the delivery pizza guy that rocks up can't get through and he has a goddamn street races. He kind of gets all upset. Well, that's the director of Fast and Furious, one, number one. So I, I don't know why. Maybe it's just to give him a little bit of screen time, 15 minutes of fame, five minutes of fame. You know, you're sitting behind the camera all day. You want a little bit of a, you know, let everyone know that I'm here kind of thing. I I guess I could understand if that's what it was for. I don't know if they get any money out of it, but either way, that's the way it is. So Taylor Sheridan's a writer. He does a phenomenal job with this movie, in my opinion. Um, Obviously, there were some tax issues when they f- filmed this movie like, they wanted to do – it's shot in Texas. Uh, sorry, you believe it's shot in Texas, but due to tax exemption problems, they decided to shoot this movie in um, uh, New Mexico. And so basically right on the border, West Texas, New Mexico, in a place called Corvallis, and, well, Albuquerque is the city – in New Mexico, and that's where the head of the sheriff's department is. So it's filmed in New Mexico, but it's pretending to be Texas. So that I'm, I'm not, I don't live there. I'm in Australia, mate. <laughs> but if you're from America or you've been to those parts, apparently straight away you'll be able to figure out whether or not um, it's shot in New Mexico or Texas. So. The cast members in this movie, um, it's a great cast. It's very simple, and I I, know, I love it. So we got Chris Pine leading the front. Um, his name is Toby. And then you've got Tanner, who's played by Ben Foster. Jeff Bridges plays the sheriff, and Gil Birmingham plays sheriff's partner. I'll say deputy, but... Gil Birmingham, everyone probably knows him from, let's just say the Twilight series. He is the um, um, the wolf father in the wheelchair in that movie. And he is of Comanche descent. So that brings up an interesting point for this movie is that it was originally one – well. They originally they had a competition in the production office between the interns, and they were going to say, "All right, best best name wins." That's the game they're going to play. So they originally named it the Comanchera, or the Comanchera, or the Comanchero, uh, whatever. And obviously, they came up with Hell or High Water, and that's what ended up winning it. But the Comanchera refers to the landmass, which um, sort of covers New Mexico and West Texas. So that would be fine for me to name a movie like that. I don't know much about the Comanches in the past with the Indians um, on that land and their reservation sizes and stuff like that, but... That seems a pretty smart thing to do, but Hell or High Water 
if I give you a little bit of a rundown, has a dual meaning. So the term hell or high water or come hell or high water, as we all know, means to basically no matter what, no matter the circumstance, we're getting it done. Shit's going to get done. Come hell or high water. I am going to rob a bank no matter fucking what. It's my job. It's what I got to do. But after a little bit of research, turns out, obviously, I don't know if it's true how over here in, in Oz, but in the US, it turns out it's actually a clause called hell or high water in um, a contract, mostly around lease agreements, where no matter what the, the, the difficulties, so if you take, so say if you take out a loan on a property or a lease or you lease something out, that in the clause writes, come hell or high water, the person holding the lease must pay the loan, no matter what, no matter the difficulties. That's it. Hell or high water clause. That's, that's fucking brilliant because this movie, it kind of applies both, both um, meanings apply to this movie in different parts. So it's kind of like a dual narrative. Uh, or not a dual narrative, sorry. The narrative's the same thing, but it's kind of like a, a dual title. Clever. No wonder it beat the Comanche title. So I'll, I'll give it that. And it drew me in. Obviously, when you um, are looking to watch a movie and you look at the title and you watch, you see like Drop Dead Fred or something like that, and then you see um, friggin' Hell or High Water, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty compelling. It's pretty funny. It's good stuff. I, I loved it. So, um, there's a huge focus on dislikes for the bank. So let's just say this movie takes place in New Mexico, not West Texas, but every signage seems to be default this for sale, that closed down here, whatever, whatever, whatever. The place looks very barren. There's a lot of ranches, a lot of farmland, but it just doesn't seem to be much action going on. And there's a West Texas Midland Bank, which I've looked up. I think it's fake or it's false, but it's obviously referring to real banks where and there's a lot of graffiti around buildings centered, centered around uh, the war. Tours in Afghanistan, come back home and literally get treated like shit or you, you, you know, they fund... They fund the war, but they won't fund their servicemen, stuff like that. I think I hear a lot of that stuff going on in the States that, you know, if you're in the war, you get paid pretty much peanuts and you come home with mental issues and PTSD and stuff like that. But in this case, the banks still get a fat profit in all their kind of things. So there's a general hatred. And I wonder if this movie is at all a, a side project to, to get everyone to dislike what the banks do. and you know, if you watch it for your own benefit, then like not for your own benefit, but if you watch it, you might find in your own, uh, y- your own perspective might might show you what I see, and that's that's kind of compelling because they rob these banks, and you hear the discussions between the people in the movie, and you're like, yeah, okay, so it seems like everyone fuck even the cops. So it's a it's a basic cops and robbers movie. Very gritty, very um, tiresome in some ways. You, you, it's not a frontier movie, that's for sure. But you could just imagine what it's like to live in a place in towns like this, where 
you know, you've all, you're all ranchers and making ends meet or most of them are poor. Uh, you know, it's a tough way of living. I'd, I'd love to go over there and just to check this place out. There's just some beautiful scenery, the mountains and the scapes and stuff like that. It's just a, it's really shot well. There's a lot of powerful scenes that are worth checking out in this film. I definitely have no no doubt about that that part of the movie. It's beautiful. Anyone in America probably look at it and go, yeah, right, another fake movie from a different area. We don't get that much over here in Australia, like movies that are filmed here. Yeah, they do well to hide them, but obviously there's so much going on in the States that everyone could probably figure out and go, hey, man, that's not this place, even though they say it's that. But they've got their reasons. Um, the the character develop in this movie, it, it's not necessary, but there's little tweaks towards the midsection around the end section. To me, it, it, I, I'm not worried. It basically follows a story between two brothers robbing banks. That's it, straight up, robbin' banks in towns that are fucking basically annihilated, empty, nothing there. Close down businesses, that's it. But they're robbing banks. They only go for a certain amount of bills, as the sheriff later on says, or, you know, basically gives us the knowledge that that's what you do. If they go for bulk bills, then most of them are inked and they'll probably get in trouble and uh, get die all over them, die packs, as they probably call them. And um, there's a sheriff and a deputy that are hot on their tail. Not straight up, but a little bit later on, they get into it, realize this is an occurring thing and that they're pros and they're doing it for a reason and we need to get onto it. But then you start noticing that it's targeted towards a certain bank and you start hearing the storyline come in. So when I say character development, it, it, it comes in really late in this film and it's not necessary in my book because there's a narrative here that if you look closely enough, you got your man Chris Pine, and your man Ben Foster, they're brothers. They're robbing banks. Ben Foster is unhinged. He is fucking psycho. He likes to hit everyone. He's fresh out of prison. Well, for a year, he's got an arsenal. He likes to drink. He's he's the one that just screams, I ain't going back to jail. So he's going to do whatever he has to. But they keep dropping hints that Christopher Pine is like, his character Toby is just like, thanks for helping out. And I'm like, Hang, helping out with what? What are you asking him to do? You're the younger brother, even though in real life you're older than Ben Foster, but in this movie, he's younger. They do a little bit of a, uh, like a, they set up the scene where he, Christopher Pine was looking after his mother who got sick on the ranch that they're trying to save, uh, not save, but you know, they're trying to get, they're stealing money to pay out the, the, to stop foreclosure, so to speak. And, you know, Ben feels a little bit upset that he was in prison. He could have helped out here, could have helped out there. Chris had to look after his mum for about three months while she lived in that room on one of the medical beds. Um, but they don't show a parent in this movie because it's essentially irrelevant to the entire movie, but it just shows you the character that Chris has had to become and the smarts that this kid has. And then Ben Foster being the immature one from prison who only wants to do three things that all ex-cons want to do, steal something, drink it or fuck it or whatever. And yeah, it it's really starts off in the thick of it. So I'm, I'm, I'm cool with how it starts. I, I don't mind that. 
you just start questioning throughout the movie, like, well, hold on, Chris is scared shitless, but he seems to be seems to be the one with the ideas and the plans. So what's going on here? Uh, I really enjoy that part about the movie because Chris Pine has apparently only been on loan for like two and a half weeks to do all of his scenes because he's um, on the set of Star Trek. So that's pretty cool. Makeup makeup artist would have been had a field day with him. I'm assuming he's got sort of stubble, must have grown some sort of stubble for his beard, given the fact that he doesn't have a beard in Star Trek. But in this movie, he's got a beard. He's tanned as hell, sweaty, grimy, dirty, because they're, <laughs> they're in West Texas. And uh, yeah, so two and a half weeks, he's seen they had to shoot it with some sort of continuity with how the story was going so it didn't seem crazy. They love to showcase weapons in this, and that's the one thing I was um, was supposed to do, which I didn't get to, was to figure out what weapons they got to use in this film because yeah, at some point, yeah, they're going to be relevant. There is a really cool um, shoot scene between um, Ben Foster and some locals. Uh, I, I thought it was. I was. I thought it was good. Um, he pulls out a fully automatic weapon and um, I'll check that up in a sec, but it just seems like they like to showcase the fact that Texans, even though it's not, it's not fully in Texas, but it's supposed to be in Texas and everyone has their weapons and they've got free, a free carry law over there, which is, um, you know, like a, a thing. It's Texas. You can do whatever the fuck you want in Texas. And in this movie, the full of the machine gun that uh, Ben Foster pulls out. I'm just about to bring it up here. Hold while I investigate this, people. So, looking up hell or high water. There you are, right there. I'll take door number one, please. Boom. So, I thought there was a super. Oh, really? They're not going to give us a scene? Oh, no, here we go. No. It's an AKM, AK forty-seven, maybe. No, they don't have one. All right, my apologies, but um, they don't seem to have. Well, here we go. Let's just click on this. There we go. What guns are you going to give us, people? Handguns, rifles, Colt, an M four A one carbine. Is that what he uses? Yeah, here we go. This is the juice. So they use handguns in this movie. There's a lot. A Smith & Wesson Model 686 and then a Glock 17, um, a Beretta 84 FS and that comes in two colors, nickel or, or black. Beretta's, Beretta's, Beretta's and then a Ruger KP. That's pretty cool. Ooh, that's a sexy gun. Ruger SR and then boom, the Colt M933. This was one of the cool... This. It's not a massive shootout movie. Yeah, there's some stuff. The hold up at the bank, get down on the fucking floor type shit. Don't push the alarm. Get me the small bills. Blah, 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 blah. You know, wearing ski masks. But when they do this, uh, they do this really interesting robbery where they had no choice. They went to a bank. It was a big fail and the doors were all locked and the bank had closed down. It's like fucking... That's the universe telling you guys not to rob any more banks. Um, and it was closed down, so they had no choice but to go to a different bank, which turns out to be one that the sheriffs were also thinking that they might go to, right? But 
they get there. It's kind of almost like 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. Everyone's doing their banking. This is not their usual MO. And yeah, they run in there. It's like 35 people. There's two dudes in ski masks with a Beretta and a Colt. Revolver, six shot. <laughs> He's there just like, get the fuck out. I mean, it's how you handle a room, right, that gets everyone scared. But this is Texas. Everyone's armed. So there's a security guard who clearly was taking a piss, but he was gone for like ten, like five, five, six minutes while they empty out the registers. There's a guy on the floor, of course. Ironically, there's always a guy on the floor that's got a gun in a bank. And in a shootout happens, they Ben Foster just annihilates everyone that has a gun, but Chris Pine doesn't kill anyone. But when they get outside, one of the chicks that was laying on the floor, one of the one of the customers must have messaged her friends or partners. And funny enough, there's like four, five pickups out the front with all these weapons, shotguns, handguns, whatever, just start shooting at the boys that they come out of the out of the bank. They don't give a shit about the people that are in the bank. They're literally shooting straight towards the bank entrance. They're hitting the truck that they're hopping into. Yeah, that's fine. But their bullets are just shooting into the bank, smashing all the windows. What? Oh, man. Those types of things annoy me in movies like this. Even like the scene, I, I, over, I skipped this. I wasn't going to bring it up. But the second car they use for the robbery, the first car they use is like an IROC or a Trans Am. In the very start of the movie, first five seconds of the movie, you'll see that blue Trans Am. Fuck me. Do you want to pick? Why don't you just why don't you just pull your balls and your dick out and just sit them on your forehead and walk around the shopping center and wonder if anyone's going to notice? This I rock is is metallic blue, two-door, driving through the streets, robs a bank and then legs it. They're not even close to their ranch. It's balls out. A problem. But that's the car they go with. The second one is what I have a slight drama with. Just set production or set manager. Look after what you what you put up, okay? Because in this movie, it's a Taurus, and everyone knows a Taurus because of the ugliest friggin' Ford that they ever made with the, the, the bonnet dips down and the boot dips down at the back. And I think everyone would probably notice for it from Meet the Fockers, I think it is, or Meet the – yeah, Meet the Fockers um, – Robert De Niro has a go with Greg about the shitty, the shitty color of the car and whatnot. Now, this Ford Taurus, while they're driving, has got this mad V8 sound. And I'm starting to think, hang on, Ford Taurus? In Australia, they're not V8s. Well, let's have a look at this. We Google it, right? And in America, they have a version of the Ford Taurus called the SHO, which is a five-liter V8. Now, literally 20, 30 seconds after you you hear the inconsistent revvings of the engine while they're driving down the highway or driving through sections of the road changing gears with both hands on the steering wheel, you come across the back of the car and just above the bumper in the left corner is SE, model SE Taurus. So I quickly do a bit of a bit of a Google there. Turns out they're all V6s. So, you know, come on, guys. Just make a movie and get it right. You have... You can you got editors, you got teams of these people to figure that out. That's such a very small. Maybe if someone can t- prove me wrong, but from what I understand, an SE model Taurus is only V6 petrol, and then obviously that SHO special is a V8. So you know, you get that shit wrong. That kind of bothers me because I notice stuff like that. Other people might watch the movie and go, "Oh yeah, this is a really gritty, 
uh, lifeless kind of movie, but there's lots in this movie worth watching. You just don't want silly things like that breaking your concentration. So the shootout, as I said earlier, Ben Foster gets out and uses the machine gun and he makes a fucking bold statement on the road. It's pretty cool. Those locals in those trucks that have been chasing him since the bank robbery, they just, he pulls up short, gets out of the pickup because he found out his brother has basically copped the bullet to the, to the right lower abdomen. And he gets out and just unleashes hell with like three clips, probably 22 magazines. I'm not sure. I'm not an expert. But he just, uh, it's a cool scene. The sound's crisp. It really, it really sets it up. And of course, these guys have just got handguns and shotguns and they, they shit a brick and they all, they all leave it. The, the whole time, I think Ben Foster was like, I'm not going to go back to prison. And uh, you could kind of tell it because he was reckless. Chris Pine was scared most of the film, but you could tell he had a plan. That bugged me a lot with this movie. Chris Pine being the main actor and Ben Foster being the the supporting actor. Jeff Bridges in is is the man. He's he's the man in every movie he does. The older he gets, the more his jaw becomes a thing. And, you know, you can't help but notice him as the big Lebowski, you know, the dude. But he's weeks away from retirement and his partner is full blood, well not full blood, half blood Indian quarter Mexican and then another quarter American Catholic. Very, very funny because Jeff Bridges has lost his wife. He's due for retirement. He wants some action. Here's a, here's a bank robbery scene. He's got this clean half-breed, as he calls him in the movie, Indian, that they don't like each other by the start, the same way the brothers don't really have a connection. So they do well for character development in this movie to get the two to – two groups so the brothers to form a bond that they haven't had for a little bit just a real small one and then obviously the sheriffs right that's a cool thing because that plays into the into the narrative later on what you see what they do with these these two but it's it's not a yeah i don't know i think the fact that he's going to retire and the fact that he wants a shootout because he's got nothing else to do and they tell you that, he's like, why don't you take up a hobby? Why don't you take up this? And he's like, oh, or why don't you sit on a rocking chair? And he's like, I just, he can't retire. He's been at this job for too long. And he develops a bit of a relationship with his Indian partner. That's, I understand what they're doing there because once we get up to this other spot, so basically... Chris Pine got shot. He heals himself up. They get to the drop car and that's a car they left out in the road earlier on before the robbery and literally minutes away is the sheriff and his deputy and Ben Foster doesn't get out of the pickup. He's like, hey, man, what are you doing? He's like, mm, basically just says, you go get to that you go get to that casino and get that money we took and get it cleaned and get to the bank. Because I never said this at the start because I wanted you guys to watch it. But if you're still with me listening, the ranch is under what they call a reverse mortgage. And this is what I think a lot of Americans might have a problem with the banking industry is that a, a reverse mortgage, I'm trying to think of what it's like for an Australian um, people to, to have a mortgage like this. But if you do a reverse reverse mortgage on a property over there, Essentially, they gave 
Pine and Foster's mum enough money to keep her poor, but enough money to do to keep her alive while she was dying. Um, and I think Pine was gutted by that, so he starts robbing banks, stealing the money off the bank that gave her the reverse mortgage, and that's the kicker with this narrative. And that's the purpose to it is that rob the bank and then pay off the mortgage with the money that you stole. It's smart, right? It's a cool little fuck you kind of gift. And that's where, you know, they developed this this problem for the bank. But with with Ben Foster's character, he just wanted to help out because he was the old he was the older brother and he's as crazy as fuck. So he's gonna it's not for him to do or to finish off this this task. It's for Chris Pine to do so because he wants this ranch to be completely free and in a trust for his kids so they can be what he wasn't. You know, they want he wants them to be their own man and go down a nice good road with a with no money problems and that's what he wants. But Ben's not gonna be a part of that. Ben's like, I've been to prison and I'm not going back and I'm gonna buy uh, you know, I'm gonna buy you some time. So he legs it in the in the, the Forby and Chris Pine takes off in, in the Cadillac or whatever it is to go back and clean the money while you know, Ben Forrest just goes the other direction and that's where he comes into contact with all the police people. It's pretty smart really because you think he's gonna drive straight past them, but he doesn't. He literally swerves towards them, get their attention, goes off down this road. And they just have this massive shootout. There's a cool explosion. It's all fucking fun and games. The 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 part that I was talking about with the partnership between Jeff Bridges and Gil is when Ben gets to the top of this mountain, um, puts a basically a, a massive napalm bomb inside the truck and then lets it go and it hits a sheriff's vehicle and blows up. And of course, everyone knows, holy shit, let's get SWAT. Let's get everyone. This guy's crazy. He's got a rifle. He's up on top of the mountain. Meanwhile, Chris Pine's legging it. No one notices he's gone. Not yet anyway when you're in a freaking shootout with someone. And they all line up behind the car. And what I can't understand is Gil, deputy, he's literally exposed head, shoulders above the bonnet of the of the pursuit of the officer's vehicle. And Jeff Bridges is hiding behind the um, you know, the arm bar, not the arm bar, but the chassis rail of the roof. And Ben's just taking pot shots with his his rifle and scoped too, and he just completely blows the back of the Indian's head out. Gill's brains are all over his side, and Jeff Bridges is beside himself. Like, what the fuck happened? These guys have been doing well. Mostly, Jeff Bridges' character has been just been completely racist towards his partner, but I think it's because he's afraid to lose his he's, he's retiring, right? So he's afraid he's going to lose the connection with his partner. And hoping that he gives him enough shit that when he's not there, his partner will want to hang out with him in the retirement. He's got no wife. He's got no hobbies. His whole life was his job. So when his partner gets shot straight to the melon and then all those uh, locals rock up, when they're all getting shot at, Jeff runs over and just steers them away and says, just get out of here, you know, this crazy guy. And then he grabs one guy and says, how long you lived here? And the guy's like, oh, forever. And he goes, I know these areas like the back of my hand. So he wants to flank Ben Forrester's character 
around the back of the mountains and come in from the back. And the locals like, give me the gun, you know, like I'm going to take the shot. And he's like, hell you are. He's got some sort of revenge. As I said, and I wrote it down here, Jeff Bridges is, Jeff Bridges changes his character changes inside this movie after the death of his partner. So in death, he found life. This is what I think. So he found purpose. He found meaning, something to live for, something to, to revenge, I guess you could say, or avenge or whatever. And as I said, meanwhile, Chris Pine's free, free and whatever. I do have an issue with his freedom. He gets away. He goes down this road and heads back towards um, a town that he's going to clean the money with. He gets to a roadblock. Yeah, he's got a bullet wound. He's trying to hide it. And the sheriffs have all got like freaking full assault rifles. But he didn't once ask what he's looking for. I thought that was a massive red flag when you were at a roadblock. Hey, officers, how you doing? Yeah, good. Can I see your license, driver's registration, whatever? Yep, no worries. Yeah, so what you're looking for anyway? Oh, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. No, he just sits there quietly and says, where are you from? Here. Where are you going? Here. Cool. Have your license? Yep. Not at least curious one bit. But maybe maybe that's just how they roll over there. I just figured it's just weird if you don't say anything. Everyone else is looking at you like, hey, man, he's pretty quiet. He's sus. He's, you're guilty if you're quiet. It sounds weird, but whatever. After um, when Jeff finally uh, flanks Ben Foster's character and he's sitting there having a bit of a breather and Ben realizes in the distance he sees someone on the rocks and then he gets blown the shit out of his brain and he just falls dead on his gun, on his rifle, right between his shoulders. He just holds him up, props him up, even though he's dead dripping from the brain. There's a rattlesnake appears at the bottom of his feet, making the rattlesnake noise to prove that he's in the desert. What's the, what's the go with that? If, if, if he just sat there for an extra five seconds and Jeff didn't shoot him in the head, the rattlesnake would have bit him. Have a look. It's so close. And I thought rattlesnakes only seem to sense move it like any snake, right? Heat signatures. Well, Ben's fucking dead. He ain't, he ain't producing any heat signature or movement. So I, I just, uh, just don't understand why they put a rattlesnake there. It's a little bit beyond me. But um, the, the coolest part about this movie, if, like me, first time I watched it, you're thinking, yep, guys robbing banks. There's something going on here, but hey, I'm an idiot. They're robbing banks and the cops are chasing them. There's a sort of a hell or high water. I'm going to rob a bank to save my ranch no matter what. And the, the opposite side is hell or high water. We're going to arrest these guys no matter what. But given the fact that the deputy died and Ben Foster was killed and Chris Pine goes back to the bank and reluctantly the bank hands over the deed to the ranch even though you can hear them just in their voice just saying oh you know we want the land because this place found oil and that's the kicker is that this this ranch had oil underneath it and uh chris pine doesn't want to keep that for himself and doesn't want the banks to have it under the reverse mortgage loan thing he wants to put it to his son's name and the coolest part about it is he uses the bank's money to pay off the mortgage and then to protect it so they can't ever change it, he puts the house and the property in a trust for his sons 
So nothing ever could, the banks can't do a shit about it. That is the coolest thing ever. And if you haven't figured it out by then and you just think they're robbing banks just to save the ranch and it's nothing else to it, turns out there's way more to it and the ending just nails it for me because Jeff Bridges can't let it go and even though he's been retired for a while, which is also a bit of a strange thing. I thought they don't really show you after they kill Ben, um, Chris Pine's brother, Sheriff had two weeks left on his retire, like Petuli retired. So what happened in that whole two weeks? Did they even go look for Chris Pine and say, hey, man, your brother got shot on the rocks? Or did they just go, hey, no, we don't, whatever? It's real, I thought they would have investigated the shit out of him. He's a brother. It's more likely. They, they search the land. They do, I don't know. I suppose Texas has got different rules. But in this case, Jeff smells a rat. And when he goes back to the, the sheriff office where he used to work, he asked him if he could have a look at the file again. Turns out he starts to pick up on pick up on some things that the new sheriff doesn't seem to give a shit about and literally says to him, it's not our suspect, don't even worry about it. But it just seems weird that he's poor. Chris Pine is poor. He's a rancher. He's trying to save the farm. He needs money, but he's got an attorney and he also created a trust in the bank's name. Really, really strange stuff. And that's where Jeff it wants to track it down as a civilian. That's where it gets real cool. Just wait for that ending part, especially when Jeff Bridges drives up the driveway and there's Chris Pine just waiting there with fucking a repeater in hand, full mo, decent cowboy hat, and just a look of, I fooled the system, I got you bastards. And that's the one thing I love about this movie is I didn't see it coming. Chris Pine looked so scared throughout the movie. He was always scared, never focused until the end. And that's when you start reeling, holy shit. Chris Pine is the mastermind behind the entire thing. And his brother essentially was just expendable. He was just a means to an end, the guy who would be crazy enough to do it. But for, for our purpose as an audience, well, Chris Pine looked scared and looked like he wasn't capable of anything until the end. The, the dialogue just between Chris Pine and Jeff Bridges is super fun, super refreshing. And I'll let you make, like, make up your mind on how they would end this movie like how they will, you know, go forward with it because, yeah, it's it's real cool. It's gr it's just gritty. The banks are a bunch of wankers and this movie likes to point that out even though there's, there's a lot of hardship in these lands and I've never been there and I couldn't imagine what it would be like. But I was a big fan of, fan of Hell or High Water and just the way they went about it. Chris Pine is a phenomenal actor. Quentin Tarantino has named him like the greatest actor of his era. Uh, the Harrison Ford of actors for his era. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, I appreciate that. When I watch a movie with Chris Pine, he delivers exactly what I need. Ben Foster was an all-rounder. He's been in lots of movies. He normally plays the bad guy. Um, and he's phenomenal too, but just enough to, to get by. Probably earns good money, but he's out of the limelight. You know, Jeff Bridges, you can't fault him. It doesn't matter what he does. He's the man. I, I, I Just give it a watch. It's There's just definitely something different, a little bit grittier than the normal Cops and Robbers movies that we're used to. But, you know, have a listen. Have a watch. As always, thanks for listening, guys. Appreciate it. And uh, I'll catch up with you guys later. Bye-bye.